Hi, I'm Rob, and welcome to the Uncut Network. Every month, we rotate between directors, actors, and super-specific genres. We cover everything from exploitation to things your parents will absolutely approve of, relative unknowns to household names, and everything in between. The Uncut Network is the movie podcast of all the niches, and to cover all those things and more, I'm joined by Kat. Hello there. Hey. And Kim, first time on the pod. Yes, hi, thanks for having me. It's been uh, way too long. Um, <laughs> I've mentioned on the show this is why I stopped doing the random thing, because it felt like I was just con- like consciously ignoring people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine it's a lot a lot to get through and try and link people up, so it's fine, no hard feelings. <laughs> yeah, so we dropped that, and it's just picking it by who's on the episode now. And I picked this one. Uh, which is the Soska sisters, Jen and Sylvia Soska. Um, how are you both doing then? How are you both doing? Yeah, good. Um, I have. Th- we, when I was on here last year, it was still too warm. It's finally autumn. It's finally the weather that I like. I can sit here with a peppermint tea and not melt. So yes, I am. I'm very well. Yeah, I'm all good as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same. I am a perpetually cold person, but I do prefer the colder months to um, yeah. the summer. So I am, and also like most of my wardrobe is um, things that you layer on top of each other. So I'd never know what to wear in the summer. So yeah, I'm settling into <laughs> the colder months. It's making me happier. You both avoided the the hell rain. I'm assuming. Because I don't think you'd be recording, honestly. That's kind of a self-answering question, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I but, think we're fine. Yeah. Down there in Essex? Being okay down there? Yeah, I mean, I was at Celluloid Screams a couple of weeks ago when there was all the flooding in um, Sheffield and stuff. And that was... It felt like the apocalypse times. Like I went, the hotel's five minutes away from the cinema and in that walk I turned up and looked like a drowned rat. It was ridiculous. Like the water <laughs> was just pouring off my face. And it basically meant that everybody was just there for the day, um, which is nice until uh, the restaurant <laughs> attached to the cinema can't do any more food orders. <laughs> so I think, I think myself and a couple of others were the last three food orders and everybody else had to brave the floods. It was... Yeah. Yeah. I imagine was that like a miserable festival experience? Because imagine on day two, it's just like constant sneezing at every screening. Isn't it? It wasn't. It wasn't too bad. Um, the the big disappointment was um, Adam Buxton was supposed to come and do like a live um, like video cast thing um, on Video Nasties, but there were literally no trains out of London coming into Sheffield because Sheffield was just like the train track was underwater. Um, so instead they had the RKSS guys um, there for the opening film, We Are Zombies, and they directed Turbo Kid. So what they ended up doing was a, a last minute live commentary screening of Turbo Kid. So they like got up and sort of talked through, uh, which was really nice because it had been about eight years since either of them had actually seen the film. So they kind of kept getting lost in the film themselves. And they had like some really interesting anecdotes about like Michael Lionside and stuff. So it was a it was yeah. a decent replacement. It's a fun movie as well. I love Turbo Kid. Yeah. yeah, check that out if you've not seen it. By the way, listeners, great movie. So yes, that brings us to uh, the director or directors. I think this is actually the first duo that we've ever had in the podcast, um, and it is the Soska sisters. So before we jump into the movies that we'll be doing, which are um, American Mary and Rabbit, what what are your feelings on the pair? I preface that, by the way, because when we picked this, I I was told that the controversial, and that's kind of missed me by, so I'm kind of digging a little bit as well. 
Yeah, I can't. Um, I remember that they are controversial. I can't remember what the the actual reason um for it is. I think they've said a lot of weird stuff on social media. Is that was that the, is the that issue? Takes now. <laughs> I think what happened was. At the time that Rabbit came out, they started sharing promotional images on their social channels. And uh, the the hero image for Rabbit is a really gnarly one where you can see like the, the extent of the jaw injury. And they had their account banned by Twitter. It was when Twitter used to ban people for having like inappropriate material. And they obviously wanted to reinstate their Twitter because other sites, other outlets were also running that same image and they weren't being banned or put onto to any sort of like warnings. And I think they had the unfortunate thing of some of their supporters who helped them get their account back had controversial views on certain uh. things and they got looped in by, by proxy. Um, I have interviewed the Oscars a, a few times over the years. Um, I'm quite friendly with both of them. And I personally have never experienced anything uh, untoward from them. But yeah, I know that there are a, a few stories circulating for, for various reasons. But I also think that some of that comes with the territory of just being a, a woman in the industry. You know, I think men get away with so much, but... You know, these women like a tweet by somebody who is then later found out to, to have extreme views and quick throw them in the bin, whereas men can do, well, certain men can do what they want for years and, and it's fine. Well, look at James Gunn. He got reinstated from uh, <laughs> Disney despite having some pretty uh, vile excuses for jokes. But, you know, just the nature of the industry. But in general sense, what are your feelings? Before we move, uh, jump into the movies, what are your feelings on the pair? as a pair of filmmakers? I think I've seen um, most things that they've done. I think See No Evil 2 is another one um, that they directed, and also Catherine Isabel's in that as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, I really like their stuff. I think um, it's really interesting, and I think especially with, like, Rabbit, um, getting to see them take, like, a different um, approach to, like, the same kind of story, but sort of... um, yeah, give the the that character a different sort of backstory and approach to discovering that she's a <laughs> a strange rabies carrying vampire thing. So yeah, I do think their um yeah their approach to to storytelling is really interesting, and their films always have really like interesting visuals. And they're like, I'm not the biggest fan of like gore or anything. Um, I'm not great with that, but I think uh, the Suska sisters managed to have very like disgusting things on screen that are also like very beautiful to watch at the same time. <laughs> like a lot of the stuff yeah. in American made is very like graphic, but I'm never like um particularly grossed out about it. I think they. Yeah, they use it all um very well, and I think yeah, I, I I sort of discovered them from American Media, and I was really excited like when the Rabbids remake came out to kind of see what they done with it, and yeah, I'm just yeah, want to see what they do like more of in the future. I think they have a really like unique, you can kind of tell it's them. I think on the screen from their stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. I found them through American Mary as well. I think it was a when it whenever it came out onto DVD for the first time. And around that time it was 
a rarity to find a female genre director, let alone a duo of them. And so it was it was interesting to see what they'd done. I'm a big Catherine Isabel fan, so she was kind of like the, the draw for me to watch American Mary. And I've kind of followed what they've what they've done since. They've had a couple of, of misses. They did that Dean Kane action film, which wasn't I can't remember its name, uh, which wasn't wasn't their best work. But they Pays kind the of bills. Yeah, well, that, I think that's the thing. They they funded uh, their their first uh, two films, uh, Dead Hooker Who in, in the Trunk and American Mary themselves their parents remortgaged their house for them to make america mary it was you know it was very much a, a family project and then because they got some notoriety with that studios were interested and they ended up doing a couple of films with the wwe uh films which is where cena weevil 2 got made and then they kind of disappeared for a while before they did the rabid remake so it was mm. it was I was looking forward to to seeing that and I think I'm one of the only people in the world minus the Fright Fest Halloween audience has actually seen uh their last I mean they've done a zombie film in since but um they did a, an S&M sort of focused film that was screened at Fright Fest Halloween last year I'm pretty sure I am one of the only people that's seen it so yeah hmm. not got distribution yet at all no, and I think outside of the Fright Fest Halloween, it only had a screening at a festival in South Africa. I think it had another one lined up, but it got banned. So it's basically the story of a guy who books in for a 72-hour therapy session with the dominatrix. He's using uh, her as a way to deal with some trauma that he experienced as a child, which is something that that people actually do sometimes mm. with with these particular workers, and it was very sort of psychological. Jen and Sylvia both starred in it as as well as directing it, and I think it was just seen as a little bit too controversial. And we know people's views on sex in cinema, and this was about a sex yeah. worker, and it also starred uh, Toby Pistol, who is um, a star of adult films, and this was kind of his first like straight straight film role uh so again there was a controversy there and nobody wears a great deal for a lot of the films so it's it's a tricky one to get distribution i think yeah unfortunately um i can segue quite nicely into uh the first of the two movies that we're going to talk about tonight uh, 2012's american mary I quit med school today, but that shouldn't come as a surprise to you. What's this? That's uh, my resume. No, you don't need it to work here, but it is nice to find out some of your dirty secrets. Want to be a doctor? A surgeon. Follow me. What do I have to do? Yeah, we preferred if Rat was not to die tonight. Put the bat down, Dr. Mason. I'm just a desperate woman looking for help. What exactly does she want me to Doctor Grant. 
Have you ever heard of body modification? <gasps> American Mary stars Catherine Isabel as a med student, Mary Mason, who is a, an aspiring surgeon who is behind in the bills and takes a, a gig as, well, she goes to, she goes to be uh, like a, a dancer, uh, but she ends up becoming kind of like a mob doctor briefly. And through that, she ends up connecting with uh the body modification community and kind of becomes their go-to person. Meanwhile, she suffers um, trigger warning. She suffers uh, from a, a sexual assault and she gets an interesting vengeance on the perpetrator of that attack. Mm. Kim, feelings on American Mary? I... Love it. I went to log it on Letterboxd after watching it for this, and I've apparently watched it like four times in the last like two years, which like isn't Whoa. that much, but <laughs> but it feels like quite a lot for having just discovered it. I'm the same as Kat. I'm a huge Catherine Isabel fan. Ginger Snaps is one of my like mm. absolute favorite films. So like anything she's in um will make me want to watch it because I love her. So I think that was the thing. And I think it's just um yeah, like I said, it's just it's beautiful to look at. I think it's um like an interesting addition to like the rape revenge genre of like um like that is sort of a, a central point of the story but it's not the entire plot of the film she she had this like kind of story going on anyway when that happens and it's just um obviously kind of escalates a bunch of stuff but i think i think catherine isabel is amazing in this as mary she's so funny and like just a, a bunch of the faces she makes when she gets put in these like mental situations with like accidentally becoming a, a mob doctor and doing this like kind of being chucked into this world of extreme body modification and then it's really interesting to see her kind of like start to own it and sort of like grow as a character but yeah i just think it's it's so nice like beautiful to look at and it's like an, an interesting look at i guess a whole like kind of subculture that i don't really know much about of like the whole like body modification stuff i think just seeing the different things that people do and like want to yeah. look like and stuff was just really interested um side of it as well yeah i i agree i think uh Catherine Isabel is so good in this i really like how the film is very much about sexuality and sensuality but it's never gratuitous with any of that i know that um previously when when she starred in freddie versus jason like the director was insistent that she gets naked and she didn't want to and she ended up using a using a body double and it was all all really icky so i remember being surprised that she then turned up in a film that did feel so sexual but then the most that she's ever it's 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 lingerie i think the Oscars being women have a have a really good eye for a way to shoot these sort of scenes where even with clothes on you can still get the same feeling as if they don't um so that's that's something that i i really enjoy about about this film is it's yeah it's it's it's, it's sensuality yeah there was uh, two things for me that really stood out i i don't want to equate every canadian filmmaker to david cronenberg because that's just incredibly reductive but that sort of early era, um, when he was still in Canada, 
and the sort of the sense of danger that those early movies did very much in this too. Sort of um, maybe not danger. That's a weird way to phrase it, but it's just very uneasy. It gets under your skin almost completely. This because this is the first time I've seen it, and um, I'm not ashamed to say it, but bit icky. It was a bit much for me. <laughs> <laughs> I found my button apparently. <laughs> I think it's just um, like yeah, it is it is pretty graphic in some bits, but I think it's just. I guess the the kind of most graphic bit is her getting her revenge on um Dr. Grant. Um but I think it's just the I don't know if it's like I said, I don't like a lot of gore, but I don't know if it's just because in my brain I'm just like, yes, he fully a hundred percent deserves this. Like she should this is like so if it it doesn't really trigger my gore reflex as much as like my um justice one, I guess. So <laughs> yes. it kind of like gets a pass for that. I think because it's so like because everything is very like yeah surgical and medical and kind of procedural and stuff it doesn't feel as like um yeah as gross as some other um films like i'm not a fan of zombie films if anyone's ever getting like their guts ripped out with their hands that's my like <laughs> that's my limit yeah. but but with american media it's like yeah for some reason it doesn't uh it doesn't bother me um as much yeah i mean i i yeah I, I'm not really registering any any goal with it. I don't know. It's just like complete, like blind, like blinkers on. But yeah, and, and I'm terrible with, with surgery. I can watch all sorts of like gross, icky films. But you sit me in front of a medical documentary, I can't watch. I can't. You're like, insides are supposed to be insides. I'm not supposed to see them. 24 hours um, in a is is like the worst <laughs> program in the world for me. It's just, no, that's, how can you watch that? It's horrible. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, when I was pregnant, I purposely watched no birthing videos or anything because I did not, I did not want to know what was coming because it was too late. So I did, didn't want to know what I was going through <laughs> until until I experienced it, and then I had the wonders of gas in there to uh, to make me forget. Um, but yeah, I just, I mean, you mentioned the Cronenberg thing; they are massive David Cronenberg fans, so that's yeah, you can really you know, feel it. They they obviously they and there's there's a few there's a few little nods to some of Cronenberg's work within it. They always like to get sort of a, a dead ringers reference into and into everything that they do. So you've got like the the red um, surgical uh, scrubs at one point, and yeah, they I think they'll yeah. be very happy that yeah. you felt those Cronenberg influences. Well, it, it, atmosphere and tone. and I think because mm. we're talking about the sort of the gore as well, I think we kind of have to touch upon the body modification. Because I think that's what just made me stomach just turn. Um, one character is Betty Boop. That's, that's sort of like the entry level. She wants to make herself look like Betty Boop, which people do that. There's uh, cases of people turning themselves into celebrities or even cats. I've seen one guy who's turned himself into a cat, but not judging. It's just, it is what it is. But it's the person that they introduce. I mean, that whole segment, which sort of runs throughout uh, the whole movie where she wants to be more like a doll and have certain sort of sexual aspects of her anatomy sort of taking out. It's just, yeah, no. <laughs> it's a button, apparently. But, yeah, it, it, it's just too much for me. It was not many movies where I have to press forward or fast forward, but, yeah, those bits, they got me good. No, I was just going to say, like, yeah, I guess it's um, it's just hard to envisage, I guess, what all these people are feeling and the way that they, like, um, yeah, they talk about, like, what they need to like feel whole and like feel like a person and things. I think it's really interesting seeing like the the differences. Obviously, a lot of the 
you see people with like real body modifications and stuff like kind of later on in the film so like people do go out and, and do stuff like this I think it's interesting to see that the the stuff that they yeah feel need to feel to feel like properly like a full person um and it's it's really interesting to see um what the kind of difference in scale is and I guess with Ruby she wants to be she still wants to look very feminine and things but she just doesn't want to have that like kind of overly sexualized element to her her husband clearly feels very differently <laughs> which is um unfortunate but um yeah I think she's a really interesting character because yeah she does want to she still wants to have like boobs and everything but she just doesn't want to have nipples she doesn't want it she wants to look like a barbie doll but not like uh yeah not overly not overly sexualized and that clearly makes her feel amazing she she is willing to pay a lot of money and have surgery in like a vet's clinic to get that done but her husband um yeah clearly has a very different opinion and i guess it's just a different like there's a lot of like men in this film that try and like have control over the women in different ways and i guess her husband's just the same thing he clearly wants to mm. still have her look the way that he thinks he's not really interested in her changing herself because that's what she needs to feel complete he's just being very selfish about it i think which is quite similar to um yeah the approach of dr grant and the other surgeons as well they're not really thinking about mary or the other women they're just going for what they want to do in the moment so um yeah hmm. it's unfortunate um it's a shame yeah do I, I do we ever find out what happens to ruby because we don't see her i was saying that to my boyfriend when we watched it because he, he, um. he her husband attacks beatrice but did do you think Ruby's fine, or do you think he I don't attacked think she, her as well? I don't think she survived that, really. Yeah, I'm kind of hopeful, hopeful that she did, because we don't see it. But um, I just wondered if there was like something I'd missed that mentions if she, mentions she if he did that to the messenger. I, I imagine know, yeah, he did something worse mm. to her. Um, yeah, I don't think it is ever addressed. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, but I mean, I find. All of the all of the, the body modification people absolutely fascinating. Uh, I remember when you see the Soskas in the film as the uh, as the twins who can't live without each other. It I mean that in itself was an interest because twins have always fascinated me. Um, you know, it's that like you have this other person there forever, but mm. obviously not necessarily forever. And I think it's. As strange as it comes across in the film, it's also quite sweet that these two women want to like always have a part of the other with them. Um, yeah. It was my first Soska film, and it did for me. Sort of, I began to wonder where lines blurred between <laughs> fact and fiction, and I'm not going to lie, I did sort of. I don't know. I sort of was like, ah, I wonder if this is something that they themselves like have 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 thought about doing. So that was a little strange, but. I think the film as a whole just like it does shine a light on this subculture that, as Kim was saying, you know, not many of us know anything about. And it seems when you see it explored in American Mary, it seems like such a good fit for genre stories. And yet, even after American Mary came out and did well, we still don't really get many films set in this world. And it is it it's really fascinating that people want to express themselves in this way and the lengths like with ruby that they're going to go to they're going to go to like a, a black market vet surgery with a med student she hasn't even finished school but she's prepared to spend over and above 
to achieve her dream no matter the risks and that's something that I always find fascinating about anybody that that wants any sort of elective surgery yeah uh, to loop back around to the rape revenge thing because that's not the entire being as uh, Kim said it's just one of the many strings um it's not really a common trope or subgenre these days it's kind of been it's fell by the wayside. I think Revenge is the only one that really comes to mind, the the French movie. But it's quite grotesque in this. It really are selling this aspect of her character story. Because the lecturer, I can't remember the name of him, but honestly, I don't think lecturers can be like that with people. Like if you miss a lecture, they'll ring you up and then start swearing at you. Um, it's pretty bad teacher etiquette, I'd imagine. Well, I can't speak for America, but yeah, it's just that entire plot thread is, I think it just plays into like the really disturbing aspect of it. And it feels like everything and everybody is dangerous when even somebody who's in a, like a profession that's supposed to care for their students and nurture their students is just absolutely irredeemable and reprehensible. I struggle with the fact he's called Dr. Grant because I'm a massive Jurassic Park fan. And whenever they say Dr. Grant, I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> stop it. You're ruining Sam Neill. Oh, that's not possible. You can't ruin Sam Neill. No, it's true. I think his name actually is Alan Grant as well because I'm sure they full named him at one point. And I was like, that's the guy from Jurassic Park. Like, so. Uh, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, the Oscars <laughs> are kind of like they're around, they're around my age. So they would have grown up with Jurassic Park. So, yeah. yeah, it was probably. It was probably intentional, but still, stop, stop trying to ruin him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that, that aspect of it is really, I know it's meant to be icky, but it's especially icky in this because it, it, it's sort of corrupting of everything in her life. Yeah, I think it's like she's obviously got so much other stuff going on and then that just on the top of it, I, I mean, is a terrible thing in herself, and in itself, sorry, and then she's obviously got someone many people actually because there's a lot of surgeons that she works with in this position of power like totally abusing their trust of her and then um it also just basically like ruins her entire life really because her dream was to become a surgeon and she has to drop out of medical school as well because she can't go back and like face um them so yeah it kind of it's <laughs> I feel like they can they can see that she's struggling with like money and obviously coming to class and stuff. He's clearly not remotely sympathetic about that, as you said. But um, yeah, I think it's just um, this. I think it kind of shows that this thing that the clearly they have been doing to a lot of women, um, that they don't give a second thought to, like they just go back to their everyday life. But it literally like changes the trajectory of Mary's entire life, and they sort of do it without a second thought. Um, yeah, I always think it's I always think it sounds weird to say like I really like rape revenge films, but I do I really enjoy Cathar a lot of cathartic. Yeah, yeah, I think um and I think usually ones directed by women are sort of get um a lot of it righter. And I think especially like the the actual um sexual assault scene itself is probably done. And it, like you said, it is it's absolutely brutal and it is disgusting, but it's not like Kat said remotely like sexualized or or anything like that it's it's meant to be um grueling yeah, yeah doesn't, exactly doesn't, doesn't cut away doesn't sort of do it in a sort of a stylish way it's just the drug hair that's it yeah it's, it's grisly it's probably the way well it's not, not probably about it. it is the most difficult aspect of it to watch completely mm -hmm. I don't yeah, and I do, watch I... it multiple times <laughs> <laughs> I, but I, I I like how it is just 
almost a, a footnote in in the story in a way that like we said she's already working you know she's already done the work with with ruby at, at this point and she's already known she's obviously trying not to get drawn down that path but then as soon as this happens she's like right okay dropping out of school not going near them uh i need a new turkey to practice on because <laughs> when she's when she's like studying to be a surgeon she's there like doing incisions and suturing up a up a turkey and you can't really do a body modification on that so she gets the next best thing and it it is i also find rape revenge films very satisfying um which is probably wrong and i agree that female directors tend to come at it from a, a different direction i mean the fact that during the the, the sexual assault we see no flesh you know mm -hmm. she still keeps her dress on and that there's, there's so many other films in this subgenre where you have to see everything of the woman which just makes me feel that to me is 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 the step is the step too far but in this i think it's handled in a way that you get the impact of the attack without any titillation and even the aftermath isn't really dwelled on it she goes home and then suddenly it's weeks later a month later or something and she's set up and she's no longer in the meds in the med school so yeah i think it's a really interesting way to, to analyze this sort of story mm. that is one of the points i had sort of problems with it feels really abrupt maybe it's uh colored by other movies are you expecting some sort of rage from the character but no there's no sort of interaction with the with the school she goes to, it's just right. That's it, done, finished. I'm doing something else now. She it's goes feels... home and throws some stuff around. Yeah, I guess <laughs> it just feels a bit abrupt for me. I, that's all. I think the whole the whole thing's quite abrupt. Like I was saying that when I was watching it, like the they drug her so quickly when she comes into that party. Like they literally, yeah. it feels like it. The scene just plays out in real time, and it must be like five minutes because they give her like two drinks and whatever they've got in them. So I think like. Yeah, the whole thing feels quite abrupt. It goes from her just thinking she's going to this party and trying to like um further her career and make connections with all these like high up surgeons it, to to cut to the like attack scene. And then I think on the other end, it just does the same as well. She just like kind of has like Kat said, goes home and kind of throws stuff around, and then just like it's kind of cuts right to the revenge part in the middle. It's a sort of very condensed version of the story because yeah, like we've kind of mentioned, it's not her whole thing it, she has this other stuff kind of going on and it's it is kind of all sort of connected but it, yeah it sort of felt like it made sense in that capacity i guess because it's just very i guess it's not it's not like last house on the left or anything or i spit on your grave where there's very prolonged um attack scenes and then sort of the rest of the film spent getting revenge it sort of felt very like yeah abrupt on on both sides i guess mary's quite a pragmatic character as well like we see previous to that you know she's when she's in the the hospital she's told to go and like tell the family that um the the dad's had a heart attack and she you know we don't we don't hear what she says but you know she's she's in and out pretty quickly and then she's told to say we're well, now going to tell them that they've passed away and again there's no hesitation there's no trepidation she's just straight in and and delivers the news so i kind of feel that her reaction to the assault is is part partly dictated by her personality type she just compartmentalized like right this has happened this is what i'm going to do i'm going to leave school i'm going to do this going to do that so i think it made sense in terms of that i think if she had been 
as we see so often, the, the, the blubbering wreck, I don't think that the rest of the film would, would work as well as it does. That's true. And of course, you have to talk about the revenge, because I think that may be the most unique uh, I've ever seen, at least in an American movie, or a North American movie. About midway, and we see him hung on meat hooks with both of his arms cut off and his mouth sewn shut, which is justified, but it's very extreme. <laughs> For me, it's when uh, clients are looking through her her lookbook to see the the other modifications that she's done, and you know that they've all come from him. And they're like, "Oh God, this guy was must have been extreme." And she's like, "Oh yeah, no, he was very extreme." It's that to me that I think is sort of sets. Yeah, that that's that's the bit to me that sends it more than actually seeing it. It's the wondering what's in this book, like the other things that you don't see that she's done to him, because yeah, he's basically her guinea pig. Yeah, yeah, I think it's good that like he obviously ruined her career. She's dropping out of medical school, but she's then using him to like further her new career because she practices on him. Um, and yeah, I think it's a uh, yeah rather. I mean. God knows how long she would have kept him alive and things if she hadn't have like been discovered and sort of had to get rid of him. But it yeah, it just feels like we we don't see like how long as well he's kind of been like torturing her at college before we we join the story as well. So it feels very yeah justified because he he was <laughs> he wasn't nice to her before the party. He was trying to just like make everything like yeah ruin her time phoning her up like shouting abuse at her and, and things um he didn't seem like a very caring <laughs> member of the teaching profession um so i think yeah his his punishment is just this prolonged um yeah violence on her side in a way that leaves him like conscious i guess and feeling everything and just um hopefully having the time to think about what he did um and realizing that he deserves yeah kind of every every bit of it it's it's very shrewd as well uh the implications of what they do because uh, less patient filmmaker maybe would show every bit of gore every whatever but just implying what he's been through i think makes it just that what i mentioned earlier just unsafe and dangerous which is very very rare in that space other than sort of it being sort of sexualized, I mean. Yeah, I think she like when she lists the things that she's gonna do to um in the first time, like the teeth filing and um genital modification and stuff, like you don't again, you don't really see anything. She kind of like clamps his tongue, I think, and then it kind of cuts away. But then yeah, to cut back to him the second time and he's literally like missing most of his limbs, like his face is all sewn up. He's got like stuff right across his neck. He's got like a big stretched ear and everything. It's just um you can sort of picture how long she must have spent and how like methodical she's been about it because it's like again, it's all very surgical. It's not like she's just like chopping bits off him and leaving him to to bleed out and things. She's spending the time to make it as, <laughs> as horrible as possible for him. And yeah, I think it, you're right like not seeing it just cut into him suddenly looking like that is far more shocking than if you'd seen her um like slicing his limbs off At the end of the day as well she is she is a doctor and you get this throughout the film you get the sense that she doesn't want people to die you know when she's called in to be like the mob doctor you know she doesn't you know she doesn't know this man she understands he's a criminal but she she does her best to, to save him. And then we see repeated a lot of times whenever she has had to do something a little bit ickier, she 
is seen like throwing up afterwards. You know, she very much can't handle the the stress of, of these sorts of, of situations. And I think as much as he has caused her this pain, I don't think her intention is to ever kill him until her hand is forced and she, she has to dispose of it. I think just that whole doctor mentality means that she can't willingly take another life until she's, mm. she's, she's pushed to the extreme. Yeah. With the nature of um, rape revenge movies means that men don't really come out of them very well. We <laughs> kind of get a good going over in them. But there is one exception to the rule in this, I feel, at least. There is one character who I feel helps make this work for me because it didn't have that sort of uh, lightness of touch in one character at least. It'd just be too grim. It'd be much too grim. And that's her, I guess it's bodyguard, is it? Is that effectively what he is? The the big guy who's around her a lot and he gets her a meal when he thinks she's going to have a bad day or she tells her, not a nice story, but <laughs> it's a relatable story for her situation. Yeah, he's a he's a good egg, you know. He gets a he gets her a milkshake and and a burger and stuff. And yeah, he because he's yeah he is. He I guess he would be sort of a bodyguard. He used to work when we first see him. He's working at the club, and then obviously she she takes him on for for her work. And yeah, he he seems to get her in a way that some of the other male characters who want to 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 know her don't. And yeah, there is that really of nice scene where yeah he's recounting like. Was it like the murder of his his mother or something? Like his, yeah. the home invasion gone wrong or whatever. But he, yeah, he he's probably the closest to to a good guy. I think yeah. he's the only person that makes her like genuinely smile as well when he gives her the milkshake, yeah. and then she's like kind of all teary eyed and just like this is really good. And, like actually properly smiles at him. Like I think it's yeah, you've never really seen her like even with her like granny on the phone and stuff. Like you can tell she loves her obviously, but she's always seems like um. Like her mind's on something else when she's trying to speak to her and stuff. She never really has time to have that connection with her because um, she's got so much other stuff going on. So, I, yeah, I think that woman with the milkshake, it's nice to see her sort of relax <laughs> just for a second and just take some time to do something um, nice that doesn't involve scalpels. Yeah, just be human for a yeah. moment. She doesn't really have an opportunity for a lot of that. But as you've both seen it more than one time, this is my first time, I have to sort of stress... Does it hold together? Because there's a lot of plot, and I'm not sure I have it all sort of organised in my head, especially in that sort of back third. It feels like there's three sort of stories that are concurrently going on. I mean, I haven't watched it as, as many times as Kim, and there's been a lot of space in between, but I think it it definitely it, it holds up. It's always it's always interesting to watch, and you do sort of notice like little bits, and I always forget that he's called Alan Grant and then spend the next couple of weeks <laughs> feeling really sad. Yeah, I think it's um yeah, I think you're right. It is quite it is quite plot heavy, but I do I love the way it sort of all I mean, I don't I don't like the ending. It makes me very sad, but I do love the way it sort of um loops back round to the beginning, I guess, in the end, with uh like Ruby kind of coming back when we haven't really seen her um for a lot of the film. So it is good. But yeah, I think um yeah, I mean, I watched this, I double build this and Rabid. I watched Rabid first and I sort of started, it was quite late at night, so we're not going to blame Rabid, but I did sort of start falling asleep a little bit. And then, but then when American Mary came on, I was like, oh, it's American Mary. And I just was like completely awake and it's nearly two hours long, I think. So it's quite long. Um, yeah, I don't think it's ever, um, it's never like lost its appeal. And I probably, 
pick up on stuff that I've maybe missed because there's, there's quite a lot of stuff going on. I probably picked up on stuff on subsequent watches that I kind of missed um, mm. the first time. But I think it's a yeah, it's a good. There's a lot of it's a big spider web of plot and interconnected characters, and I think it all um, concludes um, quite nicely at the end. Mm-hmm. But there is quite yeah, there's quite a lot going on in the last. I mean, <laughs> the it's, last it's, like, it's like little naughties that I think are good in the storytelling as well. Um, like, is it Beatrix that? character where she won't answer the calls he doesn't want her anywhere near her mm-hmm. and the way that sort of loops around is sort of the whole her story concludes mm-hmm. i think there's nice little patterns in the storytelling it's just there's so many patterns at once it may it'll take more than one viewing to sort of <laughs> pass them all out i think but um anything else about america mary that we've not mentioned that i've ever uh, been a desire to bring up i think i could just talk about Catherine isabella's like clothes for like an hour i think she looks like i mean again talking about ginger snaps i was like obsessed with that in high school and like every item of clothing that her and bridget wore and it's i think it's uh, nice to see like a more like kind of modern version and um yeah i just i'm obsessed with how amazing that she looks even when she's in like um her cool red scrubs and things she just always looks like absolutely brilliant so <laughs> production design yeah is amazing yeah it? i think i mean i think everyone's like all the like women and the the dancers kind of costumes and everything are beautiful um but yeah there's there's something um mm. particularly special with the way Catherine Isabel's dressed in this it's just um yeah she just looks I think even like the first time we see her kind of like in the classroom um well, well sorry the first time we see her is when she's suturing up the turkey but just um even that she's got like her hair up like all messy um but you could you could just see like she how like focused she is like suturing up and stuff I just think um yeah you can just tell that she's a very like um she doesn't look super alternative but you can feel that she's more at home in like that alternative community with like the body modification people like she looks um very at home in like her massive um high heels and her cool apron and stuff probably more than yeah. she did when she was yeah. in the in the hospital just dressed quite normal like a hyper goth yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean the fact that the yeah. the parents financed this with a remortgaging they got a lot for very little this is very well made in that regard, I think. Yeah, but I can't. You were going to say? Yeah, I was. Well, I was you know, gonna gonna echo what Kim said. Like the costumes in this film are so amazing, and I just want sort of like everything that that Mary owns. And I definitely did not dress like that when I was at university. <laughs> you know, she's in like these really like nice put together looks and like dresses and stuff. And I was, you know jeans and t-shirt hoodie you know maybe my hair had been washed that day maybe not so it's it's a very stylized um very stylized character very stylized film dealing with you know some some real world issues and it's I think that to me is is what appeals I kind of I tune out sometimes if films look too real I just I feel like they like stop preaching at me almost in a way but like something like this it's very much a like a dark gothic like fairy tale sort of almost and I like sort of disappearing into these strange worlds that probably do exist in in some in some capacity somewhere in the in the underbelly of the world but my paths are never going to cross with that so I kind of like seeing these sort of these sort of films I see 20 or 30 girls come in here every day from small towns with big dreams. Some girls crack under the pressure. 
You, you're going to be great. What's it feel like to walk into a room? It's like in the middle of winter. You're the sun. everything. You know what my mother used to call me? Dangerous. <laughs> You're a dangerous girl. She was right. I am dangerous. We're taking a break in the recording here yet um, with Kat and Kim um, to you know a little bit of housekeeping. Um, if you want to keep up with anything related to the show and myself, that's uncut, uncut Robcast um, across all social media. Um, but also, if you enjoyed the show and you want to support it, besides like following on social media, you can check out um, the Patreon of the show that this falls under, the umbrella that this falls under, which is the Geek Show. And on the Geek Show, um, there's all sorts of extra goodies. Um, related to this show is uh, a podcast called Uncut from the Video Isle, in which we look at horror movies, that are horror movie franchises to be more specific, um, ones that don't really get talked about in any sort of extended way. Um, Especially when it comes to podcasts that do retrospectives or any sort of online discourse, really. And the one that we're doing now is the uh, VHS series. And the most recent episode that dropped was was Viral. Um, not a great movie, but I think those are the more interesting episodes, really. Um, also, there is a bonus episode of um, a sister podcast to the show, Pop Screen. I've recorded some Nick Cave stuff, which will be coming out pretty soon. Um, what else is there? Oh yes, um, there's articles about Red Dwarf, uh, X-Files, Doctor Who, and if you're not sci-fi, um, I also do a series called Fantastic Asia, which just previously went under the monikers of Uncut. No, not Uncut, it was Unseen. Unseen Asia. And the most recent movie I did there was a weird little thing called uh, Hell's Garden, which is a studio picture in Japan. Um, which marriages, or mar- marriage, which marries together, I should say, speaking, it marries together sort of gang flicks, Japanese gang flicks, um, that you might have seen, Crow's Zero, or more classic stuff that you might get in the 60s and 70s, marries that together with the idea of office ladies, which is just what it sounds like, but Japan has a title for this, apparently, um, and that's just the way it is. And that's an interesting movie. So I've got another one coming up pretty soon um, from the director of House or House, if you're not being pretentious. Um, a few of his movies dropped on Amazon Prime through Third Windows, so one of those will be uh, dropping as an article before the end of the month. And on the last day of the month um, is uh, last night in which we look at what we've been talking about over, or what we've been watching over the previous month. Um, and because it's December coming up next, um, you can't really have one of those drop on New Year's Eve, so we're doing something a little bit special uh, that recalls uh, our annual Christmas tradition on mine and Graham, who runs Poppins, um previous podcast, Cinema, Cinema Eclectica. So that's something to look forward to over on the Patreon. Um, 
but right, yes, um, let's jump right back into it. I am picking who we're going to be doing in a future episode, a looping round two directors uncut again. Um, Nicholas Winding Refn. Um, do we have any feelings on him? Because I know people have some very, very animated opinions on his stuff. I really like Drive, um, but that's maybe more because of Ryan Gosling. And off the back of Drive, I went to Kex or Sex or however you say it and bought Only God Forgives and I regret that decision still to this day because I absolutely hated it. I thought it was the most pretentious piece of wank I've ever laid eyes on. Don't watch his TV shows then because he he got worse. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I really, really hated that movie. Um, But... He's the Neon Demon guy, right? Yeah, he is, yeah. Yeah, I love Neon Demon. Drive, I, I love the soundtrack of Drive. Like, that, that soundtrack is amazing. Um, but Neon Demon, I really, I really enjoyed. Um, I haven't I haven't endured Only God Forgives, but I used to work for the distributor, and right behind my desk was the poster. Mm. Yeah. Don't bother. I, I, I kind of like Only God Forgives. Uh-oh. It's. I don't know whether it's going to hold up at all, but at the time, it was that sort of. Um, it felt like my movies aren't really sort of mainstream accessible. You think you like mm. my movies? I'll give you my movie. Yeah, I think uh, maybe after back of the success of Drive. And then he he went uh, stir crazy and made possibly the most obnoxious studio movie that's ever existed. Up there, was, anyway. What was that one? That one you got forgives. I'm pretty sure that that studio money made that because. He oh, was a big game. deal at that point, yeah. Ah, okay. Um, he did do Bronson, actually, which... That was pre-drive. Yeah, which I don't mind. I think, again, it's more down to Tom Hardy. I think a lot of his stuff seems style over substance, but I've never seen Neon Demon. Um, oh, Neon Demon is definitely all style over substance. It? There's, there's <laughs> yeah. lots of neon and sort of like synth score yeah. and pretty pretty people doing grotesque things so yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I like Neon Demon too and he's also got uh, a trilogy of Mads Mikkelsen when he was working in Denmark uh, the Pusher trilogy which I've never seen but Mads Mikkelsen's just he's great so plenty of ways for that to go should be an interesting episode and it's also getting some people on the podcast who haven't been on for a while so a win-win unless I have to watch one of his TV shows and then it's just oh they're bad <laughs> What did he? What TV shows has he done? Um, he did. You put me on the spot now. Uh, Should have. I think I've heard about one of them, but uh, I think one was called Copenhagen Cowboy. Right. Okay. Um, that. that one was particularly bad for all the refinisms. Um, what else has he done? Too old to die young. He did that, that TV show, too many series. Uh, he created Valhalla Horizons, another thing he's done, which I've heard yeah. That that's uh, another Mads Mikkelsen one. Uh, almost silent uh, vam- uh, Viking movie. So he's yeah. got stuff. He's got stuff. But he uh, did that uh, streaming platform, didn't he, by WNR. And he just sort of rescued a lot of super obscure movies that were probably best left being obscure okay. and put them on his, his streaming platform. So he's an interesting character. Okay, if, from that. If nothing else. Tell me more about these meat cravings. It's, it's not just the meat, it's... It's not uncommon for patients to report changes in taste post-surgery. It's a side effect of the anesthesia. Things don't taste the same. We crave things we've never eaten before. How's your appetite? 
hungry all the time. I can't keep anything down. I, I, I have these severe stomach pains. When the pain is too much, that's when the hallucinations start and I see myself. Please. Miss Miller. I'm drinking blood. You're dreaming. Why am I dreaming about drinking blood? Well, people who dream about drinking blood often have unfulfilled yearnings. It's tied to the guilt of desire. I don't feel guilty. Are you in control of the dreams? Or do the dreams control you? Sometimes I am in control of them. Sometimes it just seems like I'm watching myself. Like I'm me, but I'm, I'm somebody else. It, these nightmares. Hallucinations. It's making me feel like I'm becoming a monster. So that brings us to the back half of the show in which we talk about the second movie from the Soska sisters, um, which in this case is 2019's Rabid. Um, Kim, what's this one about? This one is about uh, Rose, who is a fashion designer, sort of having a bit of a she's all that moment where you can tell she's very beautiful, but they're desperately trying to make her like not beautiful, who has survived a car crash that killed her the rest of her family by the sense of it and then immediately is involved in another traffic accident that um yeah leaves her with very severe facial and chest injuries um and she immediately loses her job as well <laughs> because of that um and she gets invited to this like clinic to take part in like a experimental stem cell surgery um which uh, she signs up to because they offer to pay for it if she will just like donate her body to science basically and it works she looks beautiful it sort of fixes um the scarring that she had on her face from the original car accident and she gets loads of confidence but she also gets this weird like vampire tentacle thing that um gives her like a a lust for blood that when she bites other people or even just like half drinks a shot glass and then gives it to them she infects other people with this um like mutated form of rabies which um is the titular rabbit <laughs> that everyone else ends up going while she's just kind of like um living her life blissfully unaware for the most part that she is infecting a large portion of the country yeah uh, cat feelings on rabbit the remake, I guess I should prefix that. <laughs> I saw this before the remake. I only sort of recently watched the original, and they're very different. They are very different beasts. Um, just, I mean, just in terms of the the Rose character in Cronenberg's original, the teeth are in the armpit. I don't. I still don't understand why they're in the armpit, but they're in the he's, armpit. He's a weird lad, David Cronenberg. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this this is more sort of typical like vampire uh, in in that respect. But I also I find that again the Oscars have brought it to a more female point of view. Um, you actually get to know Rose in this one. In the original the motorbike accident happens immediately and you have no idea who rose is in this one they set her up so you can see her change so you understand that changes are happening 
and it's set in the fashion world, uh, which is always interesting to see on screen because it's never portrayed as being a particularly nice place. Um, and I think in that way, it mirrors American Mary quite quite nicely. And I mean, it literally opens addressing the fact it's a remake. You know, so many remakes try and hide that they're a remake, but it it opens with the fashion designer that Rose works for talking about like, why do we remake things? Why do we do this? And I, I enjoy that that's kind of like a, an immediate outing to the people watching it that they know what they're doing and just just go with it yeah um i really like this i'll be i'll be honest i didn't expect to because you have that sort of baggage don't you when you're remaking horror royalty you think it's gonna be inferior it's gonna be completely disposable but no i think it has a lot to offer sort of horror in the wider sense as well as sort of the satirical angle, I'm assuming there's a lot in here. Which I think they had interactions with the fashion industry, the Saskas, if I remember correctly. Maybe. No, I know that they they like the couture. Um, the the costumes that they wear in the film were their premiere outfits at, at Fright Fest. Um, so they very and they they very much are fashion fashion forwards with in terms of their image and getting the message out there so for american mary when they debuted that at fright fest they rocked up in mary's aprons and not a lot else um so they 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 definitely know how to use fashion to to make an impression so yeah i think from that respect that they're they're quite familiar with the industry yeah so i imagine the satire of the studio in particular um is an observation rather than just some offhand thing that they're trying to do because the studio it like you said none of these studios none of the um fashion industry satires they're not subtle and the never paint it is a wonderful place to work and the manager of this place is is a weird little boy um sort of a very broad uh, german archetype who uses her as an example to talk about what the company what the sort of the the motif of his new line is of schadenfreude which just yeah, maybe it's one of those things like in the modern workplace sort of uh, ethos that if somebody treat you like that, you think, okay, I'm quitting. Bye. <laughs> I'm not putting up with that. You're not using me for an example like that. But yeah, there's a lot to offer, I think, besides the, the satire. Yeah, I think um, I watched this right after I'd finished the original Rabbit. I like do a thing on my blog where I write about remakes and originals and a lot of the time... I'm watching both of them together for the first time. So I'd watched them kind of back to back the first time I watched it. And I think, yeah, you're right. It's interesting how different a character Rose is because I think in the original, she's very much like embraces being a vampire and kind of going out. I think she's aware that she is infecting people quite early on and she's just like, doesn't really try and fight her bloodlust. Whereas I think, yeah, uh, there's the rose in the remake yeah she infects a lot of people without really realizing that she's done it there's a that like scene in the club where everything kind of lights up red when she's like kind of passed it on to someone else um it's sort of a, a lot more passive um and then i think as well just the whole like stuff about her getting um the surgery performed on her in the in the original film she's like unconscious and i think the doctor just like <laughs> knew knew she was hot and wanted to keep her hot basically and decides to just perform the surgery on her with like out her consent whereas this time rose like decides that that's what she wants to do and like 
decides to go ahead with it and things and then sort of has to deal with the the, the ramifications of that so i think it's sort of the a, the best way to do a remake where you take sort of the core of the story and the the characters but then sort of go a completely different direction with it and it was interesting mm. to see that different like yeah if, if rose had just um yeah been more informed in the whole process and, and taken a different route then this is how um <clears throat> this is how it could have ended up instead so yeah i think it's it's uh i think i like them about the same probably the original and the remake but it's just interesting to see yeah like how people how different filmmakers can take sort of the same story and interpret it in a different um fashion it's not the same story but Mm -hmm. lee winnell's invisible man had a similar sort of philosophy of yeah retreading old old um old horrorgram yeah i think um stuff like the uh We'll always talk about the 2019 remake of Black Christmas as well, um, and like the 2006 remake of Black Christmas as well. Like they all just took this core kind of thing of like sorority house attacked by killer for reasons, and then um, yeah, it's just interesting to see the different ways that people chose to adapt it. I think it's if you have a good core idea, then I think those kind of remakes are a lot more interesting than just like the shot for shot ones that just feel like they're a bit pointless i'd rather see something like this whereas yeah it's a different takes a different path uh, <laughs> and comes to a different end as so. well yeah i mean and, and going back to the satire there's multiple layers in this i think like there was in american mary there's the fashion industry as well as the medical industry which i think is sort of consistent well it is consistent between the two of them i don't think they're like north american medical uh, institutions a great deal um doctors teachers terrible in the first one in this it's sort of companies that present themselves as uh positive and helping people reclaim their lives but in reality they're very very insidious um yeah it's there's layers to this and i think it's the product of better writers as well whereas in american mary i think there's an awful lot going on and not a bit a lot of it as breathing room i think there's a lot more space to sort of let those messages sort of speak for themselves in in rabid yeah, I think it's a much more mature approach to to the storytelling. I mean, it has the the benefit of being a, a remake and the there being pre existing text. They're also massive, as I said before, they're absolutely massive David Cronenberg fans. They did get mm. the seal of approval from him to to make the film, which were they were delighted with they did get a lot of flack from the the Cronenberg purists before the film came out but I feel that as we've discussed the fact that they didn't just do a shot for shot remake is the credit if they had have gone down that route I could fully understand Cronenberg fans getting really irate but I think it was mature and interesting of them to just pick out a couple of key factors and elements and then push them into a completely different direction um I think it is interesting that this rose is against the violence, whereas the original rose, as Kim said, does seem to to fully embrace it. It's it, it's quite a nice tact. There's I feel that there's more of a relationship with the, the, the stepsister character in this one, Chelsea. I think she's got quite an interesting story of her own going on in the background. That the fashion designer is always telling her to not eat. And, you know, she's got to rest and she's got to look beautiful. And then he dismisses her the second that she doesn't. And she could have just been the archetypal beautiful bitch. But she does care for Rose. She goes about some some of it in in ways that she probably shouldn't. But you do get the the feeling that she does genuinely care for 
her adopted stepsister. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen the originals. The original, um, it's all set in a tower block, or have I got the wrong Cronenberg there? No, it's, it's um, maybe thinking of, uh, what is it, Demons 2? Is that the one that's set in a tower block? Oh, that is in a tower block. <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, no, it's, um, she, it, it, yeah, like Kat said, it opens with a motorbike crash in the original, and then she just, like, happens to crash near this facility that do like stem cell research so they decide to just do this operation on her anyway and then um she kind of like escapes from there and ends up yeah kind of infecting i think the infection seems a lot more widespread in the original there's literally like scenes on the like on a train a pack train where people are just like foaming at the mouth and like attacking each other and and everything and so it seems and it's like it feels like <laughs> it's like a zombie apocalypse like it feels like everyone dies really by the time at the end of the film so i think the the kind of that aspect of it was a bit lower key it didn't feel yeah. like as widespread <laughs> in this one yeah. Yeah, a bit more contained they've gone back to sort of the medical satire stuff it also plays very very weird in 2023 mm. because uh, the cdc get involved and they talk about sort of contagious diseases and quarantines and yeah, it just feels very weird, very sort of flashbacky for a few years ago. And the fact that did they not say at the end that like everyone who was infected got euthanized? Like they're just like, yeah, yeah we just <laughs> we didn't we didn't try and find a cure. We just killed them. Like that was the only thing. It's quite uh, it's quite a bleak. Again, I'm not surprised after American Mary, but it is a very bleak um, ending with this film as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah the comment there's a comment towards the the start as well when they're they're investigating where one of the medical professions goes oh it's just a head cold and you know we we all very much remember yeah. <laughs> when that term was banded around but before the beginning of the pandemic and the fact that this came out in 2019 just debuted at fright fest in august 2019 so just months before the pandemic hit it yeah it just feels all a bit weird that this sort of film was being made then and then what we went into almost immediately after it was released. Yeah. Maybe that's uh, too close to home. <laughs> if you get those movies, the, the right story at the wrong time. Um, I think I always bring it up often way too much, but Spontaneous has the same sort of problem. That feels like a COVID movie as well, and maybe that was punished because it felt a little bit too close to home. Because I don't hear people. The reason I say that is because I don't hear people talk about this. And as far as a horror remake in recent years, there's not been many better. I know, I because I got this on DVD out of ASDA, and it was like three pound or something, like not long after it came out. Um, so yeah, it does. It does seem like one that, especially with it being like a David Cronenberg remake, you think it would be like a kind of wider kind of spread on. I think it's a bit of a shame that it doesn't get um, kind of talked about more um as yeah i think american mary is always the one people think of when they talk about the suska sisters but i think being able to remake a, a david cronenberg film and get something that's like equally as good is is very impressive you know that was saying that though because the, the horror patterns <laughs> hold these classics up on a pedestal that nobody can even come close to achieving <laughs> but this does i mean it's much i can't speak of sort of the the genre aspirations of the original, but this is a much more, even compared to American Mary, this is a much more straight down the line sort of, um, I don't know how you'd phrase it, but maybe like a zombie movie in sort of like formula. Yeah, it's kind of like half zombie, half vampire, 
kind of <laughs> thing. It's a it's a, a strange one where she gets very beautiful and that it leads to like more confidence and better career and, and things like that but then she's in sort of infecting people and they're turning into this like monstrous thing so it's not like you know there's usually the appeal of vampires where you're like oh you get to like live forever and you'll be really sexy and things but she's like biting people and infecting them and like like they apparently there's nothing people like nothing you can do for them they just end up dead after like foaming at the mouth and ripping other people's throats out so um yeah, yeah, it's quite. <laughs> one, there yeah. is a great scene on that though. The the one in these, I'm assuming it's a soap, a doctor soap. Mm-hmm. Again, it's another doctor thing, which things just go really badly. <laughs> I do not like the medical profession, <laughs> but that's a a great scene um, where I think can meet at the the pool at the the medical facility. Yeah. Like, do we know who I am? I'm kind of a big deal guy, and yeah, it's just a really brilliant little scene that plays out in the close stage. Yeah, and I mean he, I mean he's just a dick, isn't he? Because like, <laughs> I understand by this point he's been infected, but he is so horrible to his female co-star, and then he gets like irrationally jealous of the the younger man coming in, and yeah, it's it's a nice sort of little side scene that sort of shows that the beginnings of the the contagion getting out. I think the nicest thing you can say about it is it's just as good as the original. Which for a horror remake is basically a gold star, really, isn't it? I was gonna say I would, I would, I would also um, sort of highlight Laura Vandervoort, um, her performance in this. She's probably best known to a lot of people as playing Supergirl in Smallville. Uh, other than that, she she was in Bitten as well, which is like a a Canadian werewolf TV show based on the books of Kelly Armstrong, um, but. All of her roles kind of historically have been based on her looks and her being like this perfect, perfect princess almost. So the fact that she is so horrendously disfigured at at moments in this Mm. film and the fact that she pretty much begged the Oscars to be cast in it because she was fed up of the sorts of roles that she was getting where she had to be pretty and nice. She'd almost, before she got rabid, she had pretty much given up being an actor and she wanted to move into producing instead because she was fed up of having to always maintain this like perfect image. So I, I like the fact that the Oscars and her work together on this. And I mean, the reveal of a, of a facial injury of the jaw is just mm, yeah. grim. Um, and I sort of I really respect Laura Vandervoort for being like, yeah, no, just make me ugly. I always appreciate it when an attractive actor or actress is like, yeah, just mess me up, do your worst. Yeah, it's grim injury, really, isn't it? As far as gore, I think they've got a rare honor and rare distinction of genuinely being unpleasant, like <laughs> genuinely unpleasant. Not there's like a level of gore, especially in sort of the sort of disposable fright fest horrors you get where it's just more is better just everything blood everywhere whereas in their movies it's just hard to look at which i think is a rare a rare qualifier rare distinction for them to have yeah because you don't see her face like immediately after the accident or anything you like see it once they've like wired her teeth shut and and things and it's just again it's that you didn't need to see the like original injury like seeing the sort of after effect is again more shocking though i again like i'm not i'm not great 
uh, endorsement for the American medical system, the fact that they just like chuck her out of the hospital with her face looking like that, with like as if there's no follow up treatment, and she just give her a big syringe that she has to like eat her dinner through, and that's it. They're just like, well. We, we wired your you'd teeth be, shut. You're done. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> the fact that she like, <laughs> I think stuff like that, it does make more sense in like North America because obviously like she has going for that experimental treatment because she probably couldn't afford it otherwise. Whereas like if if you were over here, like the NHS would, <laughs> I would imagine attempt to do something to like help fix you. So it's I mean that in itself is quite scary that she just sort of didn't really see another option i guess to just trying to i mean she was just trying to make her life like livable again she wasn't aiming to end up like this so-called fox that ended up like being amazing at her job and everything but she just yeah the fact that they just kind of chuck it out and leave her to deal with that and like the associated trauma she's already been through a car accident where she lost like a lot of her family like they're just yeah just <laughs> chuck it out into the street basically it's um terrifying hmm um, anything else about um, Rabid either of you want to bring up before we, we move on? The only other thing that is is the, the bit right at the end where they're like at the fashion show and everyone's kind of getting infected. Like the one guy that gets infected in the alley and he like, when he stands up, he like, bet, like he's like his whole legs stand up first and then he kind of like bends his back up and like sits up first. It's like one <laughs> of the, the like, I love it. It's, he turns up later and his kind of like heads all like kind of half burst open. I think the effects again, um, in the Soska sister films, always look really like quite realistic. Uh, like her again is very surgical, very like um kind of clean cut gore rather than trying to be all like bloody and gnarly and stuff. But I do, um, yeah, I do think that they have a very impressive um knack for for making things like properly um disgusting, but very like I appreciate looking at them at the same time. Yeah, painful gore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kath, anything? Yeah, I think we've covered covered most of it. I mean, I will give it a shout out to the whole CM Punk storyline <laughs> where he is just like toxic masculinity, chasing women down on the street, you know, abusing them. And then I think that's kind of the point where Rose is kind of realizes what she is capable of slash the beast within takes over and she's like yeah i can eat him he's a dick yeah what's your feelings on the ending though because i'm not sure really i mean yeah it's quite grim like i said as american mary doesn't have the cheeriest ending and, and neither does this one i think it's quite sad to see i mean obviously I don't, it's it's hard to imagine how she would have gone on like living if she, if people knew she'd infected people. I can't in the original they they very much know that she's like typhoid Mary that was spreading it all around and they're like hunting her down. But I guess in this one she kinda could have got away with it more. But it's just it was quite sad to see her sort of building her life up to where she wanted it to be and then sort of losing the people that are closest to her and then just mm. yeah, being stuck um in a box with this in a very stylish like smock kind of gown thing again the Soska sisters knocking it out of the park with the costumes even when they're like a simple white dress <laughs> it looks amazing but yeah it's quite um you just can't imagine like this guy's had his his wife kind of locked up in this in this box for god knows how long and I guess he's just gonna yeah sit, letting her take over that position and no one knows where she is like so it's <laughs> it's very bleak um and it's a bit 
uh, I guess, yeah, it feels on brand for them, but it is quite sad when you've seen her kind of building her life up to just kind of get it all mm. snatched away from her again. Yeah, they do like they do like a, a dark a dark ending, but just the whole reveal with the doctor and his wife, and it's like, oh, we did this because they were trying to cure cancer, but the tumors mutated. It's like you know, this is vampirism that doesn't heal all; it's, it just mutates everything, and that that is just yeah, that in itself would be a pretty harrowing film. It's only like a you know a footnote in this, but yeah, that's it's bleak and. And there's been this whole like sort of pseudo romance with the the photographer guy. And initially, you find that he's paid to take her to the the fashion party before she has her accident. And then you kind of think, oh no, he's a he's a good guy. You know, he cares about her. And then you find out that he's like being paid to to monitor and stuff. And yeah, I guess whereas there was a redeemable man in the in American Mary, I'm not sure there are any redeemable men in in this one. No. <laughs> <laughs> It's not done in a sort of um, hateful way. It's just these characters are naturally who they are. Yeah. And it makes sense for them to be that way. And they're they're more real for it. You know, the ambitious people in the world will, you know, look at the world in a very different way to, to others. And I guess that's him. He wants to be a, a serious journalist, a serious you know, photojournalist and not just a, a fashion show photographer and given the story of the century of course he's going to want to investigate it and explore it more so it does it makes sense in a in a way that he would do that but it's still awful to think that these people do exist in the world yeah so um to close out it's hard to talk about their career because they've struggled with every movie they've made so i could say if their career ended the day i think it'd be wholly unsatisfying really I don't think anybody could be happy with uh, two really uh, good movies and just a lot of uh, for higher jobs. But I think in a more positive sense to end this episode, what would you like to see them both do? What do you think they have in them? What sort of movie they have in them? I mean, I'd love to see them do like a a werewolf movie. I think um, seeing rabbits and like hints of kind of body horror stuff in, in American media and things I imagine them doing a uh I mean I love a like a female-centric werewolf movie anyway so I think they'd be very good at that but I think I could just imagine like the yeah like the body horror and the transformation thing I think they would get very right and again um a more kind of character driven story about the person like turning a werewolf than necessarily them like being perceived as a monster i think they could do a very good job of that they probably couldn't get catherine isabel in that because it's basically <laughs> it's basically ginger snaps um but uh yeah i mean if they could get her in it it would be it'd be fab but yeah i think just seeing their like um their aesthetic and the, the fashion and the like eye for the effects and stuff um yeah very kind of slick kind of werewolf film would be would be right up my street so i know that in addition to loving horror they are also big comic book nerds um they have written several comics they wrote one um about black widow and it was quite a, a dark story where the black widow was basically going around killing pedophiles it was it was it was seen as as controversial um by fans because it wasn't it wasn't your typical sort of marvel marvel friendly story but i know that they're also big 
Deadpool fans and I feel like at some point just giving them that arena to explore this other side of their interest would be would be quite interesting I mean maybe you could you could pair them up in some way and have them do a blade sequel I know obviously there's a a new blade being made at the moment but something where you can combine their love of, of, of comic books and graphic novels with their their upbringing in in horror would be quite nice to to see them get to do Hmm. yes excellent i think the only really thing i can add is i just want to see them do more honestly i know it's such a low bar to clear but i was genuinely shocked when i saw how little of a filmography they have because the amount of talent that they're put on screen in these two movies you think uh, studios independent or otherwise be bending over backwards to have them make stuff for them because in the horror landscape, there's a lot of, and the genre landscape in a wider sense, there's a lot of things that just kind of look the same. It could be a movie by any number of people. There's very few things with a genuine sort of personality and sort of style to them. And these movies within the eras that are made, they stand out like a sore thumb. And just, I want to see them do more. It is a very, very low bar to clear, but yeah, essentially. Yeah. I think the issue that they have is that they are artists, as you said, you know, their films are very distinctive to them. They have a very certain aesthetic and and story archetype that they like to adhere to. And that scares studios. Um, I know that they have pitched several ideas and concepts to to Netflix and places and they've had it turned down because it was was too extreme or not, not the norm. So I kind of feel that they're not necessarily going to get ahead unless they continue to to self fund, which is what they did with with On the Edge, and um, then they've managed to get this new, I think, it's continuation of Giorgio Romero's Night of the Living Dead, which is coming to Tubi soon or is already on Tubi. Um, and I think, yeah, it's it's that power struggle. I mean, I've spoken with them at length, and they're very much a we don't mind doing one for the studio, but they very much want to focus on the their own voice and their, their own creations and they want to continue championing the the subcultures that don't get seen so in american mary the the body modification community and on the edge it's the, the sex workers and representing the, the positivity that can come out of being a sex worker and not just the the normal depravity that is portrayed on screen so I mean, they've they've got the potential it's just they need to find a studio willing to hand over the reins to them which as we know from other sort of independent filmmakers who have gone on to studio machines doesn't always work you know the amount of times uh, yeah. Neil Marshall for example with with Hellboy you know he oh, he, he sacrificial oh, lamb there wasn't it yeah he had that completely like he had an idea and a concept he knew what he wanted to do and then the studio were like that's nice we're doing this and I, I wouldn't want them to get caught up in, in that machine and I don't think that either one of them would let that happen and I think that's the issue that they have yeah. the only thing I'll say is don't do accents if you're going to be in your movie <laughs> <laughs> that's it <laughs> only note <laughs> uh, yeah I think that's a nice note to end on though. Um, Kat where can we find you and your work online 
So I am at Gizmo Shikari on Twitter X, Instagram, Letterboxd, and cathughes.bsky.social on Blue Sky. Um, on all of those, there is links to all of my work, including the podcast that I do with my four-year-old called Movies with Mummy, which is chaos, but people are listening to it, which is just weird. <laughs> Well, people like chaos and the life. That's why TikTok exists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kim. Um, I am at Wicked Sister sixty nine on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and yeah, I uh, write for Ghouls Magazine um, with Cat, uh, and I also do a mother adjacent thing on there <laughs> where I write about motherhood um, in horror films um, every month um, which is, is fun and um, yeah like I mentioned earlier I, I write on my own blog which is called Little Red Horror um, usually about yeah comparing remakes to originals or just writing very weirdly specific lists um, of like minute scenes that happen in horror films because I have a Trello board of just like every single thing I've ever seen in a horror film and I, when I get enough to write a list I usually do it so yeah Um, and I think that's it for this week's episode coming up next time we have Nicholas Winding Refn um, I think I'm saying that right Winding Winding it's it's Scandinavian it could be anything <laughs> Um, so I'm assuming Drive will be on that episode Um. I think the Neon Demon is the other thing. Any feelings on either of two of you? I love the Neon Demon. And again, it's another one set within the fashion industry and it's dark and it's bleak and it looks beautiful. Uh, so yeah, I'm, a, I'm definitely a fan of Neon Demon. I want to watch the Neon Demon, but I have yet to work up the courage to do it. But my um, overarching love for Elle Fanning may win out. Um, <laughs> and I'll, I'll get round to it eventually. It's an odd one. <laughs> it's very odd, but it's worth the risk. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, yes, and that will all be in the uh, next episode. And until then, thank you very, very much for listening. <laughs>